I'm Bernie Crane. I'm John Crane. You're listening to the Jazz Session with Jason Crane, our dad. Welcome to the Jazz Session. I'm Jason Crane. The Jazz Session is sponsored by Matt Rock, Munat Verdi, and Kyle Quas. This is episode 410 for Thursday, October 4th, 2012. There are eight shows remaining, and today's guest is Brian Charette. Thanks to the Respect Sextet for the theme music to this show. They're online at respectsextet.com. Please buy all their records. Thank you to Dave Rabel, who designed the show's logo, and Rob Grundell, who designed the Jazz or Bust logo. You can follow me on Twitter at Jason D. Crane. You can find my travel diaries and poetry at jasoncrane.org. And there's also a mailing list, which you can join at thejazzsession.com. Just click on mailing list up at the top. And that will just become my mailing list after October 29th when the show comes to a close. Brian Charette, who is today's guest, has a gig coming up October 11th at the 55 Bar in New York City. It's an organ trio gig with Mike Clark and Rodney Jones, and I encourage you to check it out. Brian's got a recent record uh, of music for organ sextet that departs from the standard organ band format, and we'll hear some music from that, followed by my conversation with Brian. guest is uh, the organ player, Brian Charette. It's great to have you on the show. Thanks for being great here. Great to be on the show. So I, I want to get to the music in a minute, but uh, both because of what we're surrounded by and because I'm interested in how it plays into how you approach 
the music. Will you tell me something about White Crane Kung Fu? Okay. Um, well, we're sitting in my apartment, obviously, and there's posters of forums all over the place. Um, I don't know. About 10 years ago, I was I wanted to get in better shape, and I was thinking about what kind of exercising to do. And for some reason, I just saw a Bruce Lee movie, which I had never really seen them before, you know. Um, and I remembered when I was a kid, there used to be Sunday morning kung fu movies. Do you remember that? Sure. So I kind of got a book on a whole bunch of different styles of kung fu. And it said White Crane was the most beautiful looking one. Um, and I very much liked the way the forms looked. Um, and I just happened to be living next to a white crane master one block over from here. <laughs> so I started every day, you know, like or five days a week, like studying with this guy, um, white crane kung fu. Now, I've uh, read in places, and I think this does tie in a little bit. In fact, I read a review in which somebody overtly made this comparison that both your approach to playing the organ and arranging for ensembles with organ and the style of Kung Fu that you chose to practice are both considered somewhat unorthodox. Is that is that an accurate statement about White Crane or maybe less, less White common? Crane is not really unorthodox. Um, I think it's rare to... I do like some of very old style of it, I think, and some of the forms are very rare and some of the things that I do I've never seen other people do. But I think that's common in Kung Fu. I think there's very many masters um it's kind of like jazz music very much you know and they all have their own take on what white crane means um you know the shaolin temple in china was burned like two or three times and they had all of these things written down very very clearly but those have been lost so in a way nobody really knows how it's supposed to go um but by the way they train it you learn what they say is the shape of the animal. You know, they would study animals in nature and see them fighting with other animals. Um, and that's where these styles come from. Oh, so it really is uh, derivative of the, the animal's physical yes. movements. Yes. Well, the first, the first kung fu is this one you can see on my wall. See this one? This is called 18 Lohan Hands. And the story is, is that a monk walked across the Himalayans, the Himalayas, um, and got to the Shaolin Temple and was shocked by how out of shape the monks were. So supposedly he showed them these 18 exercises. Um, over hundreds of years, they were being attacked, the Shaolin Temple, by Mongolian raiders from the north. And they developed these positions into fighting styles patterned after the animals. Um, and there was originally five animal styles, um, crane being one of them, uh, tiger, uh, or snake, maybe tiger is not one of the first five animals. It's like snake, crane, dragon. I can't even remember, to be honest with sure. you. But there was five different animals. And of those animals, I've studied like the crane. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. So doing something like that is very much about being incredibly aware of your body. And I wonder, and as is your profession uh, in a at least in the sense of your of your hands, but I mean, I think in a larger posture sense as well. I wonder if there's any kind of carryover, like once you started really being kind of hyper aware of Absolutely. those movements. To me, that is that is more important for me to playing music. It had all of the things that I was lacking in music. You know, um, I got by studying that. 
Um, and at the time I started to do it, I was kind of hitting a wall with music. Like I didn't really know what to practice to get myself to the next level. I was kind of plateauing. But when I started to do this kind of stuff, um, I noticed great improvement in all aspects of me playing music. And, you know, I don't really know how that happened. Um, a lot of people don't know if chi even exists. You know, a lot of white crane is dealing with chi, which may or may not be a real thing. Chi is apparent, supposedly some kind of energy force. Chi is, body, some people say it's electricity. Some people say it's the life force. Some people say you have a Dan Tien um, below your belly button where it's stored. Some people say you have two. There's a false one and a real one. It's really hard to know. And, you know, in a lot of the ancient Chinese writings about these things, they purposefully try to mislead people a lot. You know, like there's a very famous poster uh, of the meridians in China, and there's a mistake on it intentionally. Um, so it's hard to say for sure. Um, I know it makes me feel extremely calm when I play. Like I have very little tension, I feel, and I'm not thinking a lot. And I think that kind of mind space is cultivated by any kind of moving meditation. You know. You said a second ago that it it provided you with things that you felt you lacked for music. Can you be a little more specific about sure. that? Sure. Um, balance, patience. Um, Do you mean balance in a both the literal physical sense and yes. in a more yes. kind of esoteric yes. sense? Yes. Uh-huh. Um, you know, part of my practicing is like standing on bricks doing these things on one leg. I mean, you <laughs> learn about balance. Sure. You know, Um and it totally carried over, you know. Um, it's a difficult thing to study because when you are learning those kinds of things, I think for a little while you feel pretty aggressive. And things that were buried, you know, kind of come to the surface, you know. Um, that was my experience with it anyway. So uh, that aspect of it I have actually moved really, really away from. And I only practice the forms in the internal like chi cultivation, if you will. Now. Sure. I don't do any of the fighting or any of that kind of stuff um, anymore. You know, a couple times in recent months, actually twice since I started the tour, 
this concept has come up, which is the idea that uh, one person said that musicians are seated athletes and that so much of what playing an instrument is about is not approached in formal musical education from the perspective of how you kind of take care of the physical aspect of what you do. Uh-huh. And then I talked to – that was Judith Kay who said that. And then Donald Brown, the pianist and former jazz messenger, you know, injured himself severely. I mean, affected his entire life uh-huh. starting from when he was a young man by practicing through the pain, as he said. He didn't realize it wasn't supposed to hurt when he was practicing and, uh-huh. you know, he screwed up his technique. Uh-huh. And so it sounds like – I mean, part of what you're talking about is something that more musicians should be cognizant of, which is this idea about your, you know, your body is the thing yeah. that creates the music. If you're a singer or an instrumentalist or whatever, mm-hmm. and well, you, you know, to- I was teaching a lot this summer, and in my students, I would notice that almost no one had limitations with the theory or the ability to play E major or this or that. You know, they were doing physical things that was making their playing not sound good, like piano players, very tense looking left hand that they're constantly pulling out and holding in kind of a strange way. So I noticed when I was teaching this past summer that I was talking about physical things almost exclusively and not music things, which everybody kind of seemed to know, you know. Um, What was the reaction of students when you brought those things out? Well, you know, a lot of them, some people were very receptive, some people were not, you know, some people have books about playing music where it says, oh, you should cultivate this kind of mind space or that kind of mind space. And I think my approach was much more nuts and bolts and realistic and maybe not as woo-woo. And I, and some people wanted it to be that, you know. And I think I used to very much approach music that way too, but I do not anymore. Say know? more about that. Be, be clear about that. Well, I think there is a very big spiritual aspect to music, but the act of doing it to me is like a science. You know, it's like patterns. And are you sitting still when you get to E major or is your body getting tense? And you're going to hear that. So I think both of those things are really important. I think people spend a lot of time thinking about this kind of, oh, how do I get into the correct space to play? And they don't think about any of the physical things. Um, A lot of people don't practice correctly. You know, these are very realistic things that I feel like people have to have as well as that other side to play music well. And does getting that stuff in order, the physical side, in your particular experience, does it make it easier for the what we might call the spiritual or emotional or absolutely because stuff you're not limited? In other words, when I get to E or B, it doesn't feel any different in my body than when I'm playing in B flat. So that's what I tried to get my students to feel like, you know, and then they can have a performance that's very uniform, you know, that it doesn't sound like, oh, they're getting to that bad key again. They're going to get tight, which brings you out of the whole thing, really, you know.
I want to talk about the sextet record and the, I mean, the entire idea of it seems in some way to be taking the organ and organ jazz out of, you know, the kind of like, let's do a blues now, let's Absolutely. do a funky shuffle now. It's, <laughs> it's trying to be an alternative to that, you know, which I love that kind of music, you know, but for myself, I'm very interested in exploring different areas you know i feel like this group was very influenced also by me playing with john ellis that has to me a very similar band double wide um and that's where i fell in love with the sound of the bass clarinet and john plays in the sextet you know on the record um but i found his writing very influential um just wind and ense- classical music wind ensemble writing i was very influenced by um I studied classical music when I was in school, not jazz music. So I had this whole other area that I was kind of not using at all, and I just wanted it to have both. You know, I wanted it to be a little more compositional. I also like the sextet because the solos are not long; it's short solos. And one of the things that I like the least about the genre of jazz is really, really, really long, you know, noty solos. Um, and and this kind of because there are so many soloists and they play for such a short time, I feel like the audience can really stay involved with what's going on, you know. Um, even if they're not like really advanced, knowledgeable people about jazz, they can still enjoy the music, you know. Which is what I'm trying to do. I want everybody to like it, so it's kind of more accessible, I guess. Did you feel like you had to go through a period of the more kind of traditional organ literature to come out the other side and be where you are now? Well, I was I was playing lots of that music, you know, and um, yeah, I've played a lot of that music. I studied the tradition of organ very much, you know, and, and I still consider myself a very traditional organist in a way, you know. Um, my writing is just influenced by all of these other things, and you know, I listen to strange music. I don't really listen to jazz music a lot, you know. Um, I listen to lots of different music that informs the sextet's music, but I'm playing music, jazz music, every night. So I guess that's where the jazz influence is coming from, not from music that I'm listening to or checking out. Will you talk a little bit about about your background, about how you got into playing the organ, and about especially given that you had a classical music background? Sure. Um, well, I moved here when I was about twenty one years old, um, and I had from where from Connecticut. I'm from, uh, and I had you know no gigs. I was trying to work. I was playing piano, 
And for some reason, I don't even remember why, I bought at the time, which was kind of a, a new thing, which was the Hammond's XP2, maybe it was called. It was like one of the first really good, like modern organ simulators, I guess. And I also had a Leslie. And that night, I got called to I do my first. just mentioned the Leslie's, the rotating, rotating cabinet speaker, that yes. yeah, people are familiar with the sound of that. So that night, I got called to play a gig on organ for some reason. And it was right down the street here. I don't know if you remember 20 years ago, the St. Mark's Bar used to be on the corner. And they would have jazz all the time. So I started playing organ at this place like three nights a week. And I couldn't even play organ. And then everybody else started calling me to play organ. And I kind of learned to do it, you know, as I was on these gigs. How did you get called that very first night? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. But it was like the day it came in the mail, I get a call and a guy was like, well, the guy was like, can you come play an organ gig? And I'm like, I just got this thing in the mail. Like literally it was like right in the kitchen, you know. <laughs> so I don't know. Just a coincidence or kismet, who knows, you know. And so you um, – had you come out of a classical piano background? Was that uh -huh. your, your educational basis? So, yes. I mean the organ is a – you know, I guess to people who – who don't know a lot about the organ it looks very similar but it's a completely different beast in ways in it's ways. really yeah. similar <laughs> in ways it's really different you know um it's physically difficult to play you know we were talking about that physical stuff earlier um the pedals and you know it that it's very hard to stay balanced on organ you know um and we're kind of using it in a way that it wasn't really designed for you know it was designed to be like a smaller version of a pipe organ for church, you know, and we're kind of using it in a very unusual way. And the instrument is very quirky, you know, so that's why I'm so interested in it, I think. So was it designed, it was designed to be played generally uh, slower and more sustained? Is that the I think idea, the bass or? was designed to be played with the foot, like this walking bass line and the tapping with the foot. Like, I don't think that was conceived of, you know, when sure. Hammond organ came out at all. And when you see early Hammond organists, they don't play that way, you know. And there was no percussion on the early Hammond organs either. That happened much later. I very much like Ethel Smith, this organist. Um, and she had a very different style. You know, she was a very classical uh, person. She was playing lots of bass with her feet. I don't know Ethel Smith at all. Tell me something about her. She was, you know, the phrase Latin from Manhattan. Yeah. She was the original Latin from Manhattan. Um I'm not sure if she was born here or lived here, but she moved uh, somewhere like Cuba or not Cuba, um, somewhere where she was exposed to Latin music. I'm not sure where it was. Um, and when she came back, she was playing like her very big hit was Tico Tico. Um, and she made like lots of uh, recordings like this, this kind of music, you know, Latin influence music. Um, it was not Cuba where she went. I can't remember. Uh and she was married to, like, some minor film star. She was kind of a mini celebrity, you know, in 1945 or whenever she was around, you know. And How did you come was, across her? She was pretty, too. Um, I don't remember. Um, I was just looking about uh, trying to learn more about early organists, um, especially for the record that was before the Sextet record. I was trying to very much get into these kind of people, um, Milt Buckner, Ethel Smith, um, Maybe I just search for her on the internet. You know? Sure. Uh huh.
So will you talk about when you started hearing the 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 organ in a role more like it is on the sextet record when that's that idea started to come to you? I think when I was playing with with Double Wide with John's group. Sure. Um Yeah, like I started hearing that music and him in the group playing bass clarinet. Those were the first things that I heard. You know, that's almost kind of where the music comes from. We were talking about Jay Collins too. I heard very much Jay Collins playing flute in this group, you know. So those two guys especially I had in my mind you know, and I wanted to do something different. Um, and I had like a small budget, you know, I had a budget to do it. I didn't have to pay for it. Um, and I just started writing the music when I was on tour and it kind of developed like that. It was just, it was very fast actually from thinking about it to the album being done. You know, I think I just had it, I was doing an album and they were like, well, what are you going to do? And I just, in a short time, the music was written pretty quickly, a couple days, you know, um, it just kind of the music was written in a couple days. Well, scoring the music for the horns took a little while longer, obviously, but, um, yeah, it was fast. Wow. That's, I mean, that's, that's like a gushing of, that's kind of the way I do it. You know, I don't really labor a lot over compositions, you know, I kind of have ideas and they're often very minimal. You know, I think the sextet is kind of minimalism, you know, how so say more about that. I think a lot of jazz music now has many sections or many different changes um, in time and harmony, and I try to really limit it, you know. I'll do some metric things, but I'll try to do only one little one. You know, a lot of the music fits on one or two pages. In a way, I think it's very simple, you know, purposefully so. Um, Yeah, they're just kind of little sketches, and I almost wanted the sextet to have kind of a feel like the art ensemble of Chicago, you know, this kind of looseness and anything can happen. And on the gigs, we do that, you know, I'm kind of conducting from the organ in a (laughs) very loud way, you know, (laughs) and we don't rehearse. So it's kind of theatrical in a way too, which I also like truthfully, you know, so it's a very different kind of jazz group to me, you know, and I feel like I in the past had gotten so far away from these kinds of things from playing the traditional jazz that I was. And I feel more comfortable with this kind of um, telling of the story, I guess. So it sounds like, although you have a, a, obviously a conception as a composer and some musical ideas and thematic ideas that you're comfortable allowing things to go where they may. Well, I'm not too serious about it. You know, I'm not like, Oh, you know, I'm a serious, serious composer and my music has to be played correctly. You know, I'm very loose with the guys on the gig. And I think they really appreciate it because they're in high pressure situations all the time with people that need it to be a certain way. So we kind of just have a good time. And I feel like that's the sound of the sextet. That's why the live shows to me are so enjoyable, you know, because it's not too serious. And I think jazz is too serious right now. Like when I go hear it, sometimes I feel really stressed out when I leave. And like I don't understand anything, you know. Um, and that's kind of what I'm trying to get away from with this group. Maybe this is a dumb question, but does does that mean that who, selecting who you're who's going to play this music becomes really critically important? No, it doesn't, because everybody's so good now, too. I find, <laughs> and you know, when I go to different countries, 
each place has its own version of the sextet, which has a totally different sound. Like next week or two weeks, I'm going to Los Angeles. And the Los Angeles sextet, I don't know. I mean, it's just as good as the New York sextet. It just has a different sound. It goes to different places. The Prague sextet is amazing also, you know, and it gets me to play with, you know, the good people in those areas. So I kind of get into their family a little bit too. So I feel like it's, it doesn't matter so much who it is, but the, the spirit of the vision of the group, what they're trying, what we're trying to do at the concert, I think is important. So I try to pick individuals that are good, obviously, but also like to have fun and aren't too strict, I guess, for lack of a better word, you know, but wherever I go, I have very enjoyable time with, all the different guys playing in the band, you know. Speaking of going places, you've spent a lot of time on the road in the past year. Will you talk about some of your travels? Sure. Um, I was kind of away for six months. I went on a few different tours for other people. I did a few of my own tours. I was in Indonesia and Singapore and Thailand and Czech Republic, Germany, Spain, um, those places mostly, I guess. Um, but I was kind of living in Prague, you know, um, and I very much enjoyed it. You know, it was like I was, I don't speak Czech very well, but I try to speak it. So it was like I was living a very different life, you know, for the last six months. Um, I'm trying to get things happening in both places, you know. The other place being here, you mean? New York yep, yeah, and maybe, maybe one other place too, you know. I think it's it's very global now for, for people trying to play music. You know, I think you have to be in all of these different places. Um, for me, it's been very good, you know. What's the Czech Republic like as a, as a place for music? In it's great. It has a great scene. And, you know, there's not a lot of organists there. There's one organist, Andre Pivets, from there, but he lives here now. So I was, you know, one of the only like modern jazz organists there. So, you know, it's easy to get all of the gigs that require that, you know. <laughs> um, I was also teaching in the, in the college there. And uh, it's a beautiful, beautiful city. Have you ever been there? I haven't, no. Beautiful. Um, the girls are beautiful. My girlfriend is Czech. Um, it's just I really feel at home there. I've been going there for 20 years, too. I started going there many years ago. Um, and I just have a great feel for this place. You know, I love the way I just don't like the, uh, the diet is not so great. I get very heavy when I go there <laughs> with the beer and the, and the meat, you know? Sure. Um, but I, I think it's like a, a cultural center Prague. I think it's really, really great. Um, lots of opportunities there. And it really has been historically, I mean, from, for music and writing and sure. I mean, it's just been... everything. For, Everything for much longer than any place in the United States has been. Uh -huh. <laughs> How did you first go there? You said you went there 20 years ago initially. How did you first end up there? I was playing with a trumpet player named Lotso Decci, who I met in Connecticut. And that's actually how I moved into this place, too. Um, my roommate also played piano for this guy. And, you know, 20 years ago, I was in Germany watching a video, and my roommate was playing piano. I'm like, who's that guy playing piano? He sounds really good. Uh, Lotso, the trumpeter, said, that's Leon. Uh, I said, where does he live? He said he lives in New York City. I just graduated from college, and I'm like, I want to move to New York City. So he gave me his phone number, and I was living here, like, after I got to the States, like a week later after that. Wow. You know, um, 
and it's been very good for me to live here, you know. So it's all it all kind of connects with here, you know, and some I don't know, kind of connection, you know, with New York, Czech Republic. A lot of people go back and forth between those two places, you know, like Paris and New York, I sure. guess. Um so I've been doing that for two years, kind of being six months here and or three months here and three months there and stuff like that. Um and I really enjoy it. Does the nature of being a professional musician change as you travel around the world? Does it feel different in other places than it you does? You feel here? like more of an artist when you leave the United States. Absolutely. Um, and how is that expressed? How does that come through to you? Well, the last night I was in the Czech Republic, they were, we were in the jazz dock, and they were auctioning a drawing of me off on the stage, <laughs> which doesn't really happen <laughs> in New York. <laughs> it's fair to say, yes. So it's a lot different. <laughs> People are like, I want it, I want it. <laughs> that's hilarious. You know, that doesn't really happen so much here. Ah, <laughs> uh, well, point made. Point made. The show that's uh, on, as we're recording this, that's the most recent episode of my show, is with a, a German saxophonist named Martin Krusch, who lives now in, in New Orleans. And he was saying that he noticed when he moved from New York to New Orleans that in New Orleans, musicians were more a part of the daily life of the community. And it was less about, like, you might go see one show a month and more about music is just part of what happens yeah. in the life. And I wonder if you had that experience in other places. Well, I think what that really means is that the quality of life is a little higher. And people are not fighting and struggling all day long, like New York City kind of is, you know. Not that I mind that. I think that's great, you know. But, like, Prague, um, when I was there, you know, you're in my apartment now. Like, the apartment I was in there was gorgeous, huge, two huge rooms, like, twice the size of this whole place, and beautiful view, and for nothing, you know. And you, there's just space to stretch out. There's not this tightness and so many people pressed up against each other. And, you know, New Orleans, I really like the way it feels down there, too. It's, I don't want to say New Orleans is like Prague because they're different countries, but there's like a great music scene, there's less people, and it kind of does foster that kind of feeling, you know, Yeah. I think. I love New Orleans. 
Sextet record is is quite recent, but are you already kind of envisioning what the continuation of the Sextet might look like? I'm going to keep writing for the Sextet. I think I'm going to maybe have a Sextet with strings. Oh, cool. Um, although the strings may not be loud enough to compete with the Sextet. I have to work that out. But right now I'm writing new Sextet music for just the Sextet. And I think I'm going to use th- this band, you know, for the next little while, you know. Are you coming up with kind of new, new things to write, new ways to use this now that you've got you know this record and all these performances Absolutely. under your belt? Absolutely, I you know I feel like on the first record in many ways I can hear me not knowing how to write for the group yet. You know, even though I like that record very much, but I know much more about it now. I think I will have even less solos than last time, and it's going to be more thorough composed. But everybody will have points where they can really. Um, do their thing, but they may even be shorter. They may be like solely sections. Um, I have only a few songs right now. The first one is called Dengue Merengue for my time in uh, in Jakarta, worrying about getting dengue fever. <laughs> so that's the first. <laughs> dengue Merengue will be the first sextet nice. uh, song on the next sextet album. Now, if things are more composed, obviously we're kind of talking theoretically now, but if things are more composed... How how might that express itself when you're on stage with this band live? Is it, does it mean the recorded nature and the live nature of the band will become even more divergent, or do you think? I don't think so, um, because we won't be playing the music correctly. I'm sure, <laughs> <laughs> but that's kind of part of it, you know. And I want it to be like that, um, and I don't think it's going to change. Um, I'm probably going to be writing music that is simpler to a degree. You know, some of the songs on the last Sextet album have difficult, like, time metric things, and I don't think I'm going to do that on the next album. I think it's going to be a lot of 4-4, possibly less, like, traditional swing, um, and maybe, you know, different genres of music that we haven't explored. The Sextet is kind of like genre jump jumping that's hard to say genre jumping (laughs) but you know we play like a reggae song we play kind of a funk song almost like a disco kind of thing we play a fugue in our set and i kind of want it to be like that i kind of want it to be our take on all the kind of music in the world like through the lens of the sextet i guess you know so i'm gonna just keep trying to write like that and I think it will be the same live in the recording, you know. My guest is uh, organist Brian Charette, and uh, it's great to finally meet you. I'm, I'm it's really great glad to you meet you as now. well. Yeah, thanks a lot for being here. Thanks for having me.
That's music from Brian Charette and his music for Organ Sextet. Don't forget, you can catch Brian in a trio setting on October 11th at the 55 Bar in New York City with Mike Clark and Rodney Jones. I'm Jason Crane. This is The Jazz Session, sponsored by Matt Rock, Murat Verdi, and Kyle Quas. You can follow me on Twitter at Jason D. Crane. You can join the mailing list at thejazzsession.com. You can also... What else can you do? Oh, you can follow my poetry and my travel diaries and that kind of thing at jasoncrane.org. And now get out there and support live jazz whenever and wherever you can and come back next time for another conversation about jazz on the Jazz Session.